1: For
2: the love of home. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. We've got another Cosmic Queries edition for you, an all purpose general astrophysics cosmic queries and we've got an old friend of star talk he's been on once or twice before uh hakeem aluseyi did i pronounce that right hakeem
3: close close yeah yeah it's a it's a o and a
2: shh olu shayi think oh you shady oh you shady but it's olu shayi
4: yeah
2: it's great to have you back on and i got as my guest co-host paul mercurio paul oh. good to see you man
4: hey Good to see you again, Hakeem. Great Good to, meet to meet you. you. And uh, great Thank to be you. back. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, it's been too long, Paul. And mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you're a host of the Inside Out podcast. So, yeah. and I was yeah. once a guest
4: on that program. Mm. You, you were, and we got to get you back on. It's been okay. a while. You were All great. Right. Excellent, excellent. There was a lot of sobbing during the interview, but uh, we cut that okay. out. And, <laughs> uh... <laughs> so, so
2: Hakeem, you're, you're, you're a fellow astrophysicist. Yes. Um, educated at Stanford. And you're right now a professor at George Mason University. Yeah. And and you, you've been a busy guy. You've got a mm. memoir. Came mm-hmm. out a couple of years ago. When did that come out? This past June. Oh,
3: yeah, June. yeah, June.
2: Yeah, oh, June 2021. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. your story, you, you're in the military. Yeah. You were... Uh, weren't you homeless for a while or something? Yeah. Or in the yeah, streets?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of abouts with homelessness. Um, you mm-hmm. know, not really sleeping on the street homeless, sleeping on somebody's couch, on somebody's floor homeless.
2: Right. right <laughs> you right. know, two different levels, right? There's right, different right, levels. Right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but anyway, Grant, all that has worked out. And yeah. I encourage people to read that memoir. Memoirs, mm. I think, as a genre, are, mm. are packed with all the lessons anyone ever needs to read. Absolutely. Life. And mm-hmm. so I'm delighted to have yours as part of that part of that uh, community of storytelling. Thank uh, you to help people um, bring shape to their lives. Mm-hmm. So Paul collected uh, questions from our Patreon supporters. Nice. And th- this is all purpose grab bag astrophysics. So I know a mm-hmm. little bit, you know probably more. So we'll we'll knock this out. We'll see. Okay. But <laughs> just before we begin, what was the title of your thesis, your PhD thesis? Oh yeah, my PhD thesis
3: was titled Development of a global model of the sun's atmosphere with an emphasis on the solar transition region.
4: Oh, that is so weird because mine was exactly the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow, it's like we're brothers from another mother. What? Okay, yeah. so
2: so we we need sun expertise, right? Oh, because absolutely. Like, yeah, the sun is seems to always be misbehaving. That it, it burps up gases. It it's it, it unleashes solar flares. It's got spots, and what have you been doing to the sun, <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I look at how energy and mass are transferred uh, throughout the solar atmosphere. So traditionally, the way we look at it is, you know, by the mid-20th century, we thought we understood stars really well but it failed at the surface of the star because if you look at the the surface of a star you see all these plasma loops and jets and you know weird stuff happening right that's due to actual magnetic fields mm-hmm. so um you know i'll tell you what really was cool for me now this you know paul you're going to probably have thought the same thought but to me it he was had the
2: same thesis he said the same he was studying thesis the same subject
3: yeah. But, you know, what we do as astronomers and astrophysicists is that we look at light and we say, oh, here's what the matter millions of miles away are doing and the fields are doing based on our analysis of this light. So I really got into, you know, the interaction of light and matter. So I I, I left graduate school and went to Silicon Valley, and my first patents were on using spectroscopy in semiconductor manufacturing.
2: Ta-da! So, so Paul,
4: um, what were your first patents on? <laughs> <laughs> um... I invented this thing called sunglasses, Mr. Wise Guy. okay? So there, which everyone gets to look at the sun. What about solar? cycle? Can we, I just have a question, about yeah. solar cycle, right? right? Is that still a an conundrum and not sort of something that we have our head around yet? Yeah, so we say solar
3: cycle. What we're talking about, for those people who might not know, is, you know, just like planets are like a bar magnet, a planet like the Earth that's spinning fast and have a liquid iron core, so is the sun. Uh, But the difference is the sun doesn't have a solid surface. It's plasma. And so, you know, when it gets fully separated, one pole at the top, the opposite pole at the bottom, they then migrate and mix up. And when they're mostly mixed is when we get the biggest flares and coronal mass ejections. And then they pass by and it flips, right? And it just does that over and over. And each time— That's an
4: an 11-year cycle, Yeah, that's an 11-year
3: cycle, or 22 if you go back to the original configuration, Right. Yeah, and so the thing is, is that this so-called source of these magnetic fields, we call the solar dynamo. And the people who do helioseismology have (laughs) somehow—I don't know the details. You know, if you look at the interior structure of the sun, there's the core where the fusion reactions occur. Then there's this this region known as the radiative zone where the energy moves out via light. Then there's the outer 30% that's like boiling. We call it the convective zone. So the magnetic fields appear to be generated at the boundary between the convective and the radiative zone. Exactly how—
4: who knows? Mm. I don't know. Maybe someone does. And if you can answer that, then you can explain the solar cycle and sort of oh, yeah. what's behind that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You exactly. Can answer that question. Well, yeah. part of it is that
2: the sun does not rotate as one physical solid object, right? It's that the equator rotates... Faster than other latitudes, right? That's right. That's right. So, you know, it, it, so it's really weird, you know, and it also
3: has, if you look at Jupiter's banded structure, it also has a banded structure in the subsurface that the helioseismologists have figured out. And, uh, you know, and these bands go at different velocities, right? <laughs> so, you know, okay. you have this big, you know, difference, like you said, slow at the poles, faster at the at the equator. But then, you know, there's details within there. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and it's the equal same
2: speed at each pole. I have
4: no back, idea that? if that's
3: the
2: case or not. I don't know.
4: All right. Can you get? Can you get back to me on that? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go.
2: Uh, a... No, no, we have a mission <laughs> going to the sun, but it, the sun's very hot, so we're going to go at night. <laughs> 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 with a glass of water,
4: for <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> some. Uh, All right, so Paul, uh, give support. A sunscreen. Question. What question? Yeah, are we got uh, a lot of great questions. We have a lot of great questions well, yeah. today, so I'm going to start with Kevin Bond. We know that the Big Bang Theory created the universe and it's been constantly expanding. Then it begins to shrink and implode on itself. So when the universe reaches that final point of imploding to the smallest point, is that event what recreates a Big Bang Theory and recreates the universe? Now, there's a second part to this, but I think we should do it in two parts. And that's the first part. Shall you? I got this, guy? Don't Yo, worry. Oh, please! It. I, I can uh, take this, Hakeem. <laughs> okay, to, I
2: can take this one. Can, uh, there is no observational evidence ever in the history of cosmology to say that we're going to recollapse. None. All data has always shown a one-way trip, which has been very unsettling to people who prefer tidy stories where you know it expands and contracts and expands and contracts, and it's like no, it's a one-way trip, and it's philosophically unsettling. <laughs> To me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we so, know
4: why it's only a one-way trip? By scientific, the explosive it-
2: energy exceeds the gravitational energy that would pull it all back together. That's all it oh. is. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. So yeah. deal with it. And, and I, I'll say it. I say it often. I'll say it again. The universe is under no obligation to make sense to us. <laughs> I think I've seen that on a T-shirt somewhere, or being—I exactly. don't know, yeah, uh, a bumper sticker or what. Yeah. You know, that's the that's
3: the interesting thing about this Big Bang thing is because, um, you know, if you hear people talk about it in the public sphere, you know, there's some sort of um, there's one train of thought that leads me to believe that people think that. Every 30, 40, 50 years, all the world scientists get together in a room. And the topic is, what's the big lie we're all going to agree on? (laughs) Right?
2: (laughs) That's what they think is happening. That's
3: what they think is happening, right? Literally, (laughs) no, nobody can agree on anything. (laughs) So, yeah. So the Big Bang, um, you know, it, it was one of those things where it really shows you the power of Science and what we do, you know. So I was reading, um, I was just reading a book <clears throat> written by Albert Einstein or someone else in 1938, right? And so he was, it's called The Evolution of Physics. And one of the things he was talking about is how physical thought, uh, you know, what we call the scientific method developed. And so, you know, in the in the Western world, we saw with Galileo. Well, I know
2: the other author, it's
3: Leopold Infeld. That's that's right. right. Yep, yep. Correct. And so the thing that he picked up on that I was unaware of, so, you know, one thing I knew that, you know, my fellow Western scientists typically don't know is Ibn Al-Haytham, you know, the guy who wrote the Book of Optics and, and uh, you know, was sort of like,
2: you know— in the golden age of Islam. the golden Very age of Islam, around
3: the year 1021, yeah. Yeah. right? So I was like, why weren't we celebrating a 1,000 years of the scientific method in 2021? Because he wrote the Book of Optics in 1021. But he insisted that what we believe to be true about the universe should be consistent with what we observe to be true about the universe. And the thing that Einstein points out is that what we observe can only take us so far because the universe is deceptive and it throws you these clues that can lead you astray. All the time. Yeah. All the and time. so like Aristotle and Al, they took all the clues in and they came up with a model that was wrong but was consistent with what they observed. Then Galileo mm-hmm. decided to do these mental experiments that you could never actually do in real life, right? He's like, you know, he was noticing that if I roll a ball down one plane, it goes almost to the same height up the next plane. But then... If you you know make the, the the second plane have a shallower angle, it still tries to reach the same height. Now he imagined, what if I got rid of all the friction on the between the the, the the ball and the floor, and I got rid of the friction within the wheels? It would go forever. Is what he realized, right? And that's what overturned everything. Was him imagining an experiment that we could never do. Now here's the thing about that: you can take that idea and you can make predictions. And I feel like the Big Bang is the best example of how powerful that technique is. Because unlike other experimental science where you can like control yeah. variables, yeah.
2: you can't yeah. do that yeah. in a Petri dish. Yeah, you can't yeah, do that with the universe. The universe is not in a Petri dish. Right? <laughs> That's right. So you got to say,
3: if this yeah. happened, what must have occurred and then go look for it. And the fact that we have all these crazy predictions that have all, you know, to high precision have come to fruition. So I, I, I get on that because the good doctor said, observations, right? Everything we observe shows that the universe is not going to collapse. But the Big Bang has gone even further. It's not just what we observe, is what we could have imagined must have occurred, and then we find that it's there with high precision. So it's not like one idea in competition with others. Like, the, the whole idea of the universe being small and dense and hot and expanding to this point is observed fact.
2: I, I, would, I would add to that in a more simple terrestrial example. If there's a cave and it just snowed and you see bare prince in the snow entering the cave <laughs> without ever oh, right. having seen the bear <laughs> you have evidence that there was a yeah, bear like, in the cave
4: <laughs> absolutely there are ways to know without actually seeing right but but is there some sort of is it is there some hesitation to sort of theorize on things you know i mean obviously not i mean that's what science is about it's not just observation but it's about going the next step i mean like the fact that the, the Earth, the, the Big Bang, it's 13.86 billion, but the, there's a star out there that's 14, 15, 16 billion, right? So, <laughs> right, yeah, the, yes. those. Oh, he remembered that one. Yeah, those keep popping, you still, popping up. You can't get
2: to sleep on that uh, one. Uh, they'll pop yeah. up. They'll pop up every now and then. But, you know, and so, yes, it's a conundrum. And so that's, I mean, that's right. the fun right. part about being on the frontier. The yeah. frontier is full of conundrums. Only some of them get right. the interest of the press in the public, yeah, but but what they want to think is that see scientists have no clue about anything, and they're all there. Yeah. No, we keep working on it, and we figure it out. That's all. Yeah, I mean. yeah.
3: You know, a, an example I, I like to give is you know it's not new to me. I mean, I didn't invent it, but it's the damselfly. It lives but a day in a forest. Right now, imagine you're a damselfly scientist, and you're in a forest, and you see a tree standing, you see a rotting log, and you see a seed on the ground. You could not. Think, oh, wow, the seed must right. grow into the tree, which we built, right? You got to get lucky. <laughs> right. Which then yeah.
2: dies and rots in the tree. Right right, right, right. You got to get
3: lucky. <laughs> you need many generations. You need to make lots of observations. You need people to say, oh, I noticed that when the tree falls, it looks like the, oh, and I saw the seed fall, right? And you can begin to piece things together, but you still have some gaps, okay? So we just launched the James Webb Space Telescope. One of those gaps is From when the Big Bang radiation was set free, what we call recombination, 380 million years ago, all the way up until we have stars and galaxies, right? There's a big gap of no knowledge, the the, the Dark Ages, reionization, the first stars and, and galaxies, you know, so even though you know a lot, you don't necessarily know everything, but because you don't know everything, it doesn't mean right. you don't know a lot. That, that, yeah, right. That's a
4: perfect way of putting
3: it. <laughs>
2: Love exactly.
4: it. Exactly. That, <laughs> exactly. T-shirt worthy. It, as it well. sounded <laughs> dumb to me, no. but okay. If you wanna, <laughs> no, that's brilliant. It's brilliant.
2: <laughs> I didn't say a damn thing while you were talking. If
4: it you want to you okay. rationalize your laziness and lack of knowledge that way, good for you. Go for <laughs> it. Wait a
3: minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Look, <laughs> as the one white dude <laughs> in the conversation, I don't sure.
4: I'm not sure. Lazy <laughs> <laughs> is the word. No, no, no. I didn't mean it. Uh, I know, know, I'm teasing, Uh, I'm teasing. All right, I got another one. We're going to move on. Uh, I I apologize to the person. This is a tough one uh, to pronounce. Uh, Slawick, Walzik, nice Irish boy. Um, Hello, wonderful people. When will we be able to create gravitational waves and use them to send information like we do with electromagnetic waves now? Mm -hmm. Listen, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure when it's possible the uh, airlines are going to keep it from happening because... uh, I've been been doing that forever, (laughs) man. I, like, I, I could, like, flex my pecs and send,
3: like, you know, <laughs> gravitational waves out, and, you know. Uh. But then you woke up, and then what
2: happened? <laughs> <laughs> then I started flexing my ease. <laughs> so, Paul, with that question, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more Cosmic Queries with Hakim Olisej. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. O. <laughs> Dr. O, I love it. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back.
4: Hi, I'm Chris Cohen from Haworth, New Jersey, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Please enjoy this episode of Star Talk Radio with your and my favorite personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson.
2: Back, cosmic queries, a grab bag edition on all things astrophysics. So I got one of my colleagues from Professor George Mason University, Hakeem Olisei Yee! Yee, haw Oh yee,
3: oh, I hear that. <laughs> Doctor O. When I'm up in New York, Doctor O. When I'm up in New York, walking <laughs> through the streets, I hear people yelling
4: yeehaw all the time. <laughs> what? <don't you>, <laughs> <laughs> Olu there you that's go. There there you, you go. Go. finally
2: did it right. Olu you just Done need it. a cowboy hat. Done. When you
4: put that on, you can go yee
2: uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. So, good. so Paul, uh, Paul, j- just before we begin, you do stand up, right? I mean, I do I, not during COVID, but yeah. you're a stand up guy. Yeah, uh, stand and up. And act, yeah. did we oh, first
4: meet on the Colbert's Late Show? We first met really f- it might have been the Daily Show I was writing on that show. Oh was, yeah, yeah, so you go way on that back. Show. That's and right. then we connected and I was a And you warm and, up the
2: crowd there at the yeah, Daily Show? Yeah,
4: and I yeah, uh, and well I was writer on the show performing on the show the warm up and then I went to the Colbert Report and then went to the Late Show with Stephen Colbert and we've kind of been uh, attached at the hip and right, like That's that,
2: great. That's great to have that tracking. It's great to hear that.
4: All yeah, right. we're kind of in the same mindset like there's sort of a core group of us that started at The Daily Show that started that Mm. kind of point of view. And Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen came in a few years after we started the show. Mm. And, you know, obviously he was great on the show and then that led to his own show. So we kind of have a shorthand, know how we like to parse the news and all of that. And when we first started on The Daily Show, we weren't doing just politics and the media's coverage of politics. We were doing everything, music, pop culture. And when John came on board uh, like three years in, John Stewart, he focused the show a little, pretty much on you know. That's right. People
2: forget that the Daily Show long predates John Stewart. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. it was
4: three over three years with Craig Kilborn. Craig Kilborn, um, um, right? Yeah, oh, right, right. right. And uh, very lovely locks of golden hair that he had, and uh, and he was great because he would read anything. He didn't care about offending anybody or whatever, <laughs> and he had that very dry. Doug Herzog was at President of Comedy Central. Oh, yeah. who was involved in creating the show. Really liked uh, Craig from Sports Center. And that's mm-hmm. how you right, got cool. to know. And so it kind of, yeah. Let me, so anyway, let me yeah. my
3: idea about you, Paul. I call it the
4: monthly okay. show. What okay. <laughs> <laughs> do <Before> we do? <laughs> I, listen, uh, I think we're going to, it might be a little dated. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might be. It might be. I, I have a yearly show I want to do. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> so so uh, Paul, what was the, what question did you yeah. leave off with at the, so at the break? So it says, um, uh, when will we be able to create Gravitational waves and use them to send information like we do with electromagnetic waves now. So let me let me start that out and I'll go hand off to Hakeem. Mm-hmm. Gravitational waves
2: travel the same speed as electromagnetic waves. So you're not gaining anything by this. Plus, they're very hard to make. They take a lot of energy, more so than you know, turning on your laser. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know, Hakeem, can you do you think of any Advantages to using gravitational waves? Uh, yeah, encrypted communications
3: in a way, right? It's really it's like you know I'm going to take my li- two little pulsars, binary pulsars, and I'm going to move them in this way to create a series of uh you know X's and O's, dots and oh, dashes. So secret
2: messages. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and the other thing right. is is
3: that they'll pass by things that you know will attenuate light. So you know you could, but but again, you still have the same speed.
2: So, so I hadn't considered that, of course, gravitational waves pass through everything. Yeah. If you if you if you participate in the space time continuum, gravity waves will <laughs> go right on through, and they don't even care. Yeah. So what you're telling me is you're going to send me some secret message with orbiting pulsars. Yeah. And then I decode it on the other side, and no one can block it. That's right. No one can do anything. Okay. Unless they know, you know, if the Ferengi or the
3: Klingons or you know the Borg are trying to intercept. Uh oh. Uh oh.
4: Oh, we have a geek in the house. Do we ever? Well, why is this not? <laughs> is this is this being experimented with at all, or is it just too? Paul, he used to work in the navy, mm-hmm. so he can't divulge information. Oh, okay. The- You'd have <laughs> to kill me okay. if he tells me. I don't want to die right
0: now. <laughs>
3: well, I could bring you into the lab forever to entertain. Uh, right. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: So, so is it? It's not. Is it either conceivable that this could be developed for that kind of use?
3: Well the key thing is what uh, the good doctor said, and then you notice he's talked about the amount of energy required, and you notice that I invoked pulsars, <laughs> you know, neutron right, stars. Right. So that yeah. yeah, doing it, making them happen is so the other question I have is you know, that's detectable gravitational waves. I don't know it to be the case, but I would imagine that moving any mass will create some sort of, you know, gravitational ripple.
2: Just like right, yeah. y- you just have to accelerate the mass. That's all. Uh, right. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not movement so much as acceleration. acceleration and that creates yeah. the ripple. Got right, it, got it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a matter of mm-hmm.
3: uh, you know, how sensitive
2: can you detect and the signal to noise back, you know, for your system right right so what you what you're suggesting implying is that ligo laser interferometry gravitational wave observatory which is our first means of detecting colliding black holes though that costs a zillion dollars and a grant from the national science foundation and mon- you know monies from congress that's just our first foray, yeah. And in a hundred years, maybe we can get way more sense. That's like Galileo and his first telescope, yeah, yeah. And and wait a little while, and we'll we'll be knocking this out, and I, I can, uh, so I can catch you walking down the street, just w- wiggling your arms in a particular <laughs> yeah. way, and I'll get. It. So in the future, maybe Hakim's walking down the street and does an arm a Hakim arm jiggle that'll create a specific. Gravitational wave signature that only comes
4: from him. Oh, it'll have and only his. Have, it'll have his imprint on it, and only his. Correct. correct. It'll have okay. an unbelievably sexy voice. Whatever that wave is, it'll be an incredible <laughs> deep voice. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, what,
2: what's what's next up?
4: What do you think is the? Uh, what do you think is the Wait, best? Who's
2: asking the question, Paul? I want to know who
3: who these people. William are. William
4: Da.
3: All right, I got I got to step up here. That's three questions from dudes. I'm stepping in for the women. I need a question from a woman.
4: Uh, you know they're there. All right, okay, we'll get you on, <laughs> on the next one. Here we go. Okay. Uh, uh, what do you think is the best strategy to expand broadband internet access to rural areas? I've seen lots of talk about satellite, high-altitude tech, but also the concept of using unused TV frequencies uh, between the active ones in the VHF and UHF, which seems far more practical. I think this is important. Especially in a pandemic, to achieve uh, anything close to equity in education, and I mm. couldn't agree more. I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Mm. Rural Kansas needs Squid Game, and uh, okay. <laughs> let's get on that, will you? Uh, uh, so, w- what is the what is the viability? It's not just
2: rural Kansas. There, there are a lot of very uh, desolate parts of China, um, Siberia, and people, you know, live there in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So you got any ideas, Hakeem? I'm thinking, I isn't know. that what Elon is trying to do? Yeah, he's, he is. You know, every yeah. time he launches, there's a hundred satellites that get yeah. De- deployed.
3: Yeah, and that's you know that's why it's fraught with danger to comment on the topic. But uh, you know, there's the Starlink satellites, right? He's attempted to do that, but I think he's not the only game in town. I cannot say what the best uh, option is, but I think we all agree that um, you know there's an injustice <laughs> in, in it not being uh, available to everyone. And you know it, it's going to further. You know, it, you know one, one thing I think about is is how, if you look throughout history, I love to study human history over you know the universe's history. Dirt poor versus you know well off. You know, you look at these um, old movies, right? Today, the average person lives better than a king or a queen in ancient times, yeah, just because right. we have air conditioning Completely. and clear water,
2: right? Clean water. But and plus, <laughs> you know, but dirt, plus we can all we can all buy and eat a turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. that, there
3: is
4: that. There is that. We can't That's right. the evidence. No. We're, we're right. 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 And there's court yeah. jesters. There's court jesters like myself that are everywhere now. See? So they're not we got Paul. Everywhere. She's oh, minus right? the half. That's what He's he is. With the yeah. hat, and then and yeah. I do a little thing,
3: and you know, healthy you know. and comfy <laughs> jesters is what we right. have in in a in modern world. Yeah. But 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 the thing is, is dirt poor is still dirt poor, right? Dirt poor in the Mediterranean. I mean, excuse me, in the med, med medieval times, dirt poor today. They're still pretty darn dirt poor, and uh, you know, the, the the top keeps moving further and further away, right? And so when you move the bulk of humanity. Like, we are the knowledge animal, right? We're the technology knowledge animal. So what you're doing is you're giving a percentage of humanity access to all of humanity's knowledge, and another group of people are just like, uh, y'all go fetch some water.
4: You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, it's terrible. But well, this feels like something, sort of going back to what Neil was saying a minute ago, sort of, you know, why doesn't science know everything? But is this, is this sounds conspiratorial, but is it these large carriers have the ability and are sort of holding on to the technology for later. Like, this seems not that complicated uh, here, I, to achieve. Here's my read on that. Well, no, first of all,
2: one of the problems is the, uh, it depends on what you needed the communication satellites to do. If it's to actually speak to one another in real time, you can't use geosynchronous satellites for that because as fast as light moves, The time delay is mostly unacceptable to people if you want witty repartee in a conversation. If it's streaming, then it doesn't matter. You just wait there Mm. and it streams and gathers and it buffers and Mm. then you play it. The problem is orbiting satellites mostly are equatorial. And so Mm. if you are at very high latitudes or very low latitudes, you know, high polar latitudes, it doesn't have much satellite coverage. And so... um, and you always need a satellite over you in order to be sending you the signal so if you have low-lying satellites they you need more of them for there always to be a satellite above your head if they're far away mm. it can be over everybody's head right mm. but if they're really low they can only see mm. a couple hundred miles at a time so that's what starlink is putting up i, I lost count uh, i can't yeah. how many satellites this boy yeah, put in orbit Right. Yeah. Same here. Right. I just see a new, uh, this number of new
4: satellites went up. Right. You see these announcements. But, and then there's right, this there right, right, exactly. practical limit to what how many can be, be up there at one time and function and not free, crash into each other. Isn't there that? There's the Kessler effect.
2: Too?
4: Hakeem, you know about the Kessler effect?
2: The Kessler Kessel run? The Kessel? <laughs> <I love that>. <laughs> <laughs> Would yeah, ah, you, you get Star what? Wars out of your kitchen? What? What? No, I would be a no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's called it's called the so,
4: Wookie effect, and mm,
2: uh, so, the, so the Kessler effect is uh, there's a guy named Kessler. Uh, I think it was when was it in the 70s? Uh, he did a calculation. He noted that as our satellite population increases, okay we're more susceptible to what would happen if a satellite broke apart and then destroyed other satellites and broke them apart, Oh! Right? So, so mm. suppose two satellites mm. collide. Then each one, let's yeah. say, makes 10 pieces, moving at 18,000 miles mm. an hour. So then each of those 10 <laughs> yeah. pieces hits another satellite, breaking them into 10 pieces, right? So we go from one to 10 to 100 to 1,000 destroyed satellites. He cited a threshold yeah. of satellite density mm. in orbit above which we are at risk of if one satellite gets mm. damaged, they all come out oh because God. it becomes wow. a catastrophic uh, a, a avalanche of destroyed satellites. Mm. So, yes, there is a limit. We're not there wow. yet, but... There is, and by the way, they showed that in the movie Gravity. And I saw that sucker oh, in, in an IMAX. That, that was the Kessler, the Kessler effect. <laughs> oh, you saw it when, um, when it breaks, when it hits and breaks up, you mean. Everything breaks up and it kept breaking up and, and there's mass of satellite debris. That's why their communication links got taken out. Because we already this, have a solution for this. Because this is that? how we run
3: our uh, nuclear fusion fission reactors. So all we need is control
4: rods. Just drop some control rods in orbit. Blip, 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 blip. They'll absorb the pieces. Reaction stopped. Like giant magnetic poles that just anything that's metal, like just that gets. Okay, see, that's the problem when you're a scientist and you also have a sense of humor.
3: You might say something wild and crazy, <laughs> and somebody take you seriously. <laughs> I
4: know, that's, because I, that's because I'm, an I idiot know. <laughs> I'm Yeah. Okay. Can, I'm gonna stop now with that no, you, sort of humor. You, 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 no, you can, no, keep it. You could sell me a bridge, and I would buy it. So I'm, a, I'm an idiot yeah. when it comes to some of this stuff. But well, so we got to yeah. take a break. When we come back, we'll have the
2: third and final segment of our astrophysics grab bank. Cosmic queries. Yeah, Paul, I... I Start talk, Cosmic. Wait, wait, can, can, I, can I bring the show back in, please? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I love I, it. I love I it. I'm going to talk it fast enough. Dark Talk, Cosmic Query. <laughs> <laughs> I, Akeem Oluche. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. You got it. So now, as you were, Akeem, Yes,
3: yes, yes. So, I, you know, I just made a mistake I made once before, and I just wanted to tell Paul the story. So I used to teach... I was working in Silicon Valley in the daytime, and I was teaching an astronomy course at night at Foothill Community College in the San Francisco Bay Area, I which is yeah. an yeah. international— Yeah, you know, and um, our guy, Andy Fracknoy, wrote the guy textbook. Is yeah, All right. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I like to make jokes, and so one of my jokes is—a lot of my jokes are self-deprecating humor. Okay, and where I come from in Mississippi, we often turn the T-H that occurs at the end of words to an F. Okay, so breath is breath, you know. So I would joke in my classes and say earth, and I'd even write earth on the board, E-R-F, right? But being, I get my first quizzes back, and I see that some of the students for whom English is a second language <laughs> have written <laughs> earth on their oh, exam. Man. Oh, you just saw? <laughs> oh, like,
2: God. oh, why you do? Why you got do? <laughs> no that? humor. Why I know, you do I know. I got to hey, think Hakeem,
4: my humor through. Uh, yeah, they call yeah. into the administration. Listen, you're making our students dumber. We have to fire you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only. And uh,
3: just, to, just
2: to get the I names out there. The guy yeah. we're talking about is Andrew Fracknoy, who's a big uh, astronomy educator. And if you yep. go to the Foothills uh, College website, you'll see that there's a Silicon Valley lecture series, mm. a speaker series there. So this relationship goes way back. Mm. So um, good to hear that.
4: So, Hakeem, yeah. if it's T H, if it's T-H-E-V, where do you no, put the No, it's f- it f- when it occurs f- at the ends of words.
2: Oh, it's got to be yeah. the end. Oh. Yeah, yeah, uh. yeah. So truth would be truth. Yeah, truth. The truth That's is the right. Truth. Yeah, right. Truth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, Love yeah, it. How to, how I do it all how purpose. To promote, yeah. How to promote illiteracy.
3: <laughs> no, listen. <laughs> oh, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Let me tell you my my idea here. Oh, here and, we go. You know, this yeah, is from the we, cosmic queries. Right. So I was reading about you know linguistics, and I was reading about how the language of intelligentsia went from you know Greek to Latin to English. And one of the reasons why this, whatever I was reading, claimed is because the languages are more and more efficient. And one thing about the English language is that it doesn't have as many of the, like,
2: gendered, uh, you know, stuff. But here's the thing. Wait, wait, just So the Romance languages, almost all nouns are gendered. Right. So, you, and you have to then yeah. structure the sentence to accommodate the gender of the noun, which has nothing to do with sex. Mm-hmm. It's just, in fact, that was the first That's usage right. of the term "gendered" was was invo- in language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, go
4: on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It is. It is. It is he that did not answer the door. Yeah. Like, that kind
3: of. Yeah. Thing, right? So, so anyway, if you look at what linguistics think of what they call Black Vernacular English or Ebonics, which is, you know, the the the, the language of my homeland then one characteristic it has in comparison to normal English is it's more efficient. So, my prediction is that all the highly educated people are going to be saying truth and breath and death because it's so much more efficient. It's so much more efficient.
4: What's up is— What's up? What's up? Like, what's so up? It's not—what's up? Or it could yeah, be what up. Yeah, like, yeah. So, you're right. No, in fact, but you don't need the it what? It's just,
2: no, it's just, Paul, Paul, it's just suck. Nah. That's right. Yeah, oh right. right. Oh my God, uh, you're right. Uh, 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 you alright? Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Ain't no party like a Star
3: Talk party. because Star <laughs> Talk Party
2: don't stop. <laughs> I, I don't, so I try to come up with a word. <laughs> I'm getting dumber by the minute talking to you guys. I try to come up with a slang that had the most number of collapsed syllables in it. Okay, and I worked with this with my son, and this is what uh, came up with, right. Ready? Okay. No, I'm saying. What? What is that? No, I'm saying. What you? <laughs> I, know what I'm saying. Okay. No, I'm saying. <laughs> a, do you know what I am saying? Do you know what <laughs> I am that, saying? Right, right. That's impressive. You know what I'm saying. That's
4: but you know what? Right you you brought up another. <laughs> can't beat that.
3: <laughs> another story. You can't beat that. Know yeah, that, I'm saying? that that's no, impressive. impressive. That's impressive. No, I mean. You no, know yeah, I mean.
4: That sounds. That sounds like a question that would be a final on the Keem's class that he teaches, where he makes people oh. stumble. Like that would be the, the question. Is you have you have to take that sentence that Neil just said and make it into the shortest. I
3: love what you just said, Paul, because I do make people dumber,
4: right?
2: Because <laughs> no, no I'll that's tell that's you why. of Star Talk. You're brilliant. brilliant. Listen, that's listen, brilliant. hear me out.
3: Hear be me out. Hear me out.
2: Patreon members. I, okay, what? Listen, did
3: you know—and their Patreon members is going to love this. Did you notice how often I have used the phrase, I don't know? Right? To me, the the, the key thing is knowing the difference between when you know and when you don't know. And you leave my classes— understanding that distinction. Very rarely do people walk in understanding it. I didn't understand it, right? I was in my PhD program okay. and then Art Walker would say to me, do you know that? And I'd be like, uh... Right. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, right. do you know that? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, that's right. I'm okay. making them dumber. I'm making them know they don't know. Ah,
4: no, you're brilliant. Come on. Um, you want to jump to the next one? Oh, on, yeah, go for it. <laughs> nice question. Not All right. Saying. I'm uh, Leonard uh, Letty. Uh, good morning. Uh, a two part question. Why is the speed of light 186 miles uh, MPS and not 190, 170, or some other speed? And uh, the second part is if I'm in a spaceship going 0.6C and have an oncoming spaceship at 0.6C, isn't the other spaceship traveling faster? Then that's the speed of light according to my frame of reference. I just want to say, Leonard, I think it's inappropriate for you to ask Hakeem and Neil to help you with an astrophysics exam. Right, that's it's what clear.
2: that sounds
3: you're like.
4: Clearly, you're taking a test right now. <laughs> exactly, and you're exactly. cheating. <laughs> you are cheating, Leonard. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to turn into Star Talk and get this answer right on this test. Uh, so, so there you go. All right,
3: so I, I, I'll jump in here. So, light travels as a wave. And waves, one of the things that surprised me about waves when I was learning about waves as a student is what comes from where? So here's what I mean. Suppose I have a long string and I do my hand like that, right, and I send a wave traveling down, right? And let's say I do it over and over, right? Now those that wave that's produced is gonna have certain properties. It's gonna have an amplitude. It's gonna have a wavelength, the distance between the peaks. It's gonna have a frequency, how many peaks occur in a certain interval of time. Um and the wave is gonna move at a particular speed. And so it turns out that the frequency of the wave is determined by how an amplitude is determined by how, how fast and how much I move my hand, right? But the speed of the wave is determined by the string itself. It is it's determined by its, its uh resistance material. to its change mm-hmm. of state of motion. It's it's you know, it's its, it's material density, and it's also realist, you know, related to how tight it's strung, right? It's tension. Right. So one wants to stop it from moving, another wants to move it back to equilibrium, but it's just that. So the question is: if I see a wave moving, like if we talk about the speed of sound, right, what we're talking about is the speed at which waves move through that medium. Okay? So if it's a table, I knock on my table, that sound wave moves through it. It's a different speed than when I speak through the air. It's a different speed than when I clap my hands underwater. And it's because of not what I'm doing, but the nature of the medium itself. So light is an electromagnetic wave. It's moving through the vacuum of space-time. And so the speed of light is a constant, right? So is it set by the medium, which is the vacuum?
2: Woo! <laughs> All right. So that's so that's why it's not. Wait, wait, so Paul, that's not why that's why it's not higher than that, but you can. S- sort of slow down light by passing it through other media. And so through diamond, a transparent diamond, it it goes at only 40% of the speed of light in a vacuum. But that's a little bit of a cheat because through the diamonds, it's actually still going at the speed of light, but it takes breaks. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's tired. Yeah. But you know, it's the nature of space-time. Yeah, so as light goes through a medium, it is stopping and then getting re emitted in the same direction it came in. And so and that pause effectively slows down the speed of light in that medium. But between stops, it is going the speed of light. But but we don't generally speak of it in that way. We say light slows down in glass, in air, in a diamond, as long as it's as transparent. Um, medium for that. But yeah, so that's good. So, so what you're saying, Hakeem, is the property of the vacuum is such that you get that speed for that weight.
4: But, 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 but is there a vacuum? In other words, you mentioned the table and sound going through a table versus in underwater. It is about the environment that you're in as well, right? But, but space-time
3: is different, right? So if you look at, you know, so we do these things in these weird diagrams called um, space-time diagrams, right? And so Light is all happens to be the speed of causality in our universe, right? Nothing can happen faster than that speed. So, in the you know, so it's one of those things where if you look at a space time diagram, you see, oh yeah, it makes sense. Where you know, blah blah blah, you know, negative energies, backwards in time, you get all this weird stuff happening. Um, so it, you know, so I kind of was in a way misleading the audience by saying the vacuum, but it's more like space time itself. Got it. Got it. <clears throat> yeah, but here's the other thing to know about the vacuum and whether or not it's something. So we have the Michelson-Morley experiment, which allegedly showed that there's no ether. Because electromagnetic waves, all mechanical waves that we know of, require some medium to, trance, to to travel through. But light was different. So physicists said there must be some medium in space, because how is it this wave we call light propagating without a medium? And so Michelson and Morley did the experiment. And they found that, oh, I don't see any differences. But then uh in in these perpendicular directions along the, the Earth's um orbit and, and perpendicular to it, you know, if you were measuring a relative speed, they would be different. But then you have this person called um, what's his name? Uh contraction, Fitzgerald, not Fitzgerald, what is it? Uh uh, Lorenz, Lorenz, yeah, yeah, Lorenz, Lorenz, Lorenz to Gerald, yeah. So Lorenz comes along and says, "Well, you know, there's another interpretation of the data, and that is if you know one arm got shorter, shorter by what we call Lorenz contraction now. Um, so space-time itself. So, so anyway, now we understand in our highest understanding of knowledge that everything is fields. Space is a field you know, the reason why every electron is identical is because they're not actual independent entities. It's just like every C note on a piano is identical because it's a, it's, it's a vibration on a string of a particular length with a particular, you know, density and, and such, right? Tension. Uh mm-hmm. And radius, yeah. So, you know, these electrons are just... Evidence of this so called electron field or lepton field. So, you know, the universe that we live in is not the universe we see, right? And so when you look at these subatomic particles, they get closer and closer to that fundamental nature of the universe, right? And so things start to get weird. But I'll stop there because I'm using up so much time. <laughs>
2: Okay.
4: All right. All I know is that you, or, or not? No, I mean you, <laughs> you. You just said that you were misleading people, like you did in your class, using the word the letter F when it should be TH. I think there's a consistent thing with you with misleading people. <laughs> no, you are. Because that's how he rolls. Just he just wants yeah, to with oh, people. Yeah. We... Uh,
2: <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we have another question. Should we move Sorry, on? Paul, give me. We got time for like one more question, Paul.
4: Okay. This is uh, Sandra. Okay, we have a woman here. Hi. uh, uh, Just to be
2: clear, Paul, you only know that it's a woman's name. You don't know that it is a woman. That's right. I thought that after I said that earlier.
4: (laughs) Okay. Uh. Sandra, whoever you are, uh, is it possible that we found a star that's 16 billion years old? Methuselah is is the star I'm referring to. It's a puzzle to me. Mm. Mmm. Exactly. (laughs) It's a
2: puzzle to us all.
4: (laughs) <laughs> so, when you hear that
3: number, there's a second number that is, or a third that is always cited when scientists talk to each other, and that is the uncertainty. And hardly ever cited with a report to And
2: them.
3: that is the uncertainty, <laughs> the error bar, right? And there's two types: systematic and statistical errors, depending upon you know how you're creating it, the number. Um, and so, my guess is that if you look at the error bars of the star's age, the error bars of the universe's age, that both are consistent. But if you look at the central value, it appears to be an inconsistency. This has happened before, will happen again. All the science is in the error
4: bar. Or, or could the star be lying about its age? (laughs) <laughs> Just putting it Uh-oh. out there See,
3: first you said It was a woman Now you're saying you lied about the age Paul, oh, I'm beginning to see A trend with you too, man So
2: oh,
3: Once God. we make The monthly show You're gonna see Yeah, exactly we got to make The monthly show
4: <laughs> But wait didn't, didn't the astronomer Howard Bond With his team Come up to Bring the number down To like uh, you know, fourteen point eight. We're using luminosity, oxygen in the star, and you know, rates of nuclear you know reactions, and 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 so, and, so here's and, the and then there was a margin we'll, of error.
2: We'll go out with this around this, that. this one. Wait, wait, so, so uh, Akeem is right. The, what you want to look at is not the the number that's the center of the average that you obtain from the observations. You want to look at the the uncertainty in that estimate. And every single measurement ever reported in a scientific journal, when properly reported, comes along with the uncertainty. It's sometimes called the error bias. But error makes you think they made a mistake, but they didn't. It's just an uncertainty. Okay, so so I, I have no doubt that the, the uncertainties overlap between the age of the universe and the age of this star. The pro- mm. There's a deeper problem here. We actually have two independent ways mm. of getting the age of the universe. Forget the star, the universe and those two numbers are statistically different from each other, where they don't even enter each other's error bars. And it's a, it's a cosmic conundrum right now. And the two numbers look like they're closed, <laughs> so what are you worried about? It's because the uncertainties have been beaten down to be so narrow mm. that they don't overlap anymore. And mm. so either we need new physics, or something, with, something else deeply that we don't understand. So this can and does happen, and it's happening right now with the And age which of, the
4: of those two methodologies do you more subscribe to in terms of uh, measuring the age of the well, universe?
3: Well, you, you know, you're, 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 you're looking at it like Newton versus Maxwell when Einstein was looking at it. But, <laughs> there, you know, it could be they're taken at very different times in the age of the universe, right? One is made using the cosmic microwave background radiation, Highly precise, very early in the universe. And the other is using um, different types of standardized candles that are calibrated one off the other. Here's what I mean by that. The way we find out distances, astronomically, in most cases— is by the first method is parallax. So we have a new satellite, Hipparchos, which is doing that with super high accuracy within our galaxy. Then we find stars of known luminosity. They're in various types. The brightest ones pulsate, right? These so-called Cepheid variables. And then we have these exploding stars, type 1a supernovae, which are calibrated off of the Cepheids. So now the question becomes, are Cepheids identical in every galaxy such that we can trust that we know their brightness to within the same percentage within every galaxy? There's some evidence that that may not be the case, right? Um, and so, you know, if there is a variation, that's, I learned the word autochthonous. I used to propose to study this. So, um, Formed where found. Geologists use that word. So, you know, is a Cepheid period luminosity relation universal or is it formed where found, right? Uh and, and then it's the same thing with the type 1A supernovae. Do we understand everything about them and their environments and their intergalactic medium? So there's so much detail and so much to understand that the cosmic microwave background radiation seems like a much cleaner mm. measurement. So if you're a
2: betting man, that's where you're gonna. Put down your money.
3: That's where I would put down yeah. my money. Um, but then there's some things. So
2: here's the other problem, right? So well, I have to interject. Yeah. So, so what you just said over the last four minutes, there's <laughs> an entire ch- chapter yeah. in the Star Talk book mm. called Cosmic Queries mm. on that subject. Mm. It, and it's called Cosmic Tension, and it tells you how you get the distances and the standard candles and the micro background and the conflict. It's all in a book. I- Cosmic queries inspired by the fact that we actually have these kinds of conversations. And Just letting you know. And doggone it, your book is always
3: number one in astrophysics, <laughs> and I'm getting tired of you. Okay?
0: whoa,
4: It's like you, Hidden Figures, the baby book. <laughs> Look, man. I have, hey, can you I, I say something? I have a book. It's How the Cow Moved, all right? It's a, the it's a, <laughs> top of the charts of the... Of the uh, I think people should get both books. Between the two books, your book, Akeem's book and Neil's book, Star Talk book. You know, I'm, looking, I'm like, wait a minute.
3: Shaq is getting all the commercials. <laughs> Neil is getting all the book sales.
4: Like, come, come on. on. Give the guy something. <laughs> Give
0: him <laughs> Give me... uh,
3: yeah. You, you got to come out
4: with your own cell phone. How about that? Like, forget Google. Come out Ooh. with... Ooh. Wait, Paul, no, you I actually know, have a book I'm... out? I not know. I would... <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> looking to write a book about my life story because people have told me there's a story. No, I thought, because if you can write a book
2: about cows saying moo, you know, the whole story about the cow jumping over the moon, maybe they're actually oh. saying moo. Oh. Mm.
4: Mm. Let Instead me write this down and steal, Let me steal mm. this idea. Uh, Hold right. on. But I've already tweeted, <laughs> make, <laughs> make sure it's a spherical cow.
2: Paul. <laughs> <laughs> a spherical cow. <laughs> got okay, it. we got to up them on that. So guys, we got to call it quits there. Right. This has been great. Love this grab bag astrophysics. And, yeah. and by the way, two astrophysicists are always better than one. This is what I think <laughs> I've computed here. Yeah,
4: absolutely. <laughs> it's just a lot like, of astrophysics love right here. Just to, uh, yeah, elevate, you're feeling it. Like, totally like a, feeling it. Like a the big love. group hug right there. Uh, so,
2: Akeem, uh, <laughs> good to have you back. And Thank you, sir. Uh, I trust this won't be the last time. I, I sure have, hope not. And Paul, it's been too long. Uh, good yes. to see you. Don't be a stranger. All no, right. absolutely. Great to see yeah. you. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up.